0: Hello, Tim Williams here. I'm the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Thanks for choosing to listen to one of our archived episodes from our early days of launching the show. Although I love the overall content of these episodes, I will say the recording quality was not always the best as the show was still evolving and I was learning to record and edit pretty much on the fly. I believe the sound quality and editing has improved from season to season, so be sure to check out more great episodes and our more recent seasons. I hope you enjoy this episode and that it rekindles all those warm and fuzzy nostalgic feels. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Hello movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams and I'm your host for the 80s flick flashback podcast. We talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser known treasures we've discovered on cable TV or the now defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter what film we choose from week to week, we'll have a lot of fun sharing memories, discussing our favorite scenes, and even learning some behind the scenes facts about the cast and crew along the way. So let's jump right into today's episode. Thanks for listening. In July of 1983, director Harold Ramis took us on a cross-country comedic adventure with one of the most well-known and often most beloved families in pop culture today, the Griswolds. The Griswolds' first cinematic adventure takes us from Chicago to California as the good-hearted but dim-witted patriarch Clark W. Griswold, attempts to drive his family to Wally World for a good, old-fashioned family vacation. Well, that's what we're talking about today, 1983's National Lampoon's Vacation, the one that started them all, because there's several sequels that have come out since then, uh, some better than others, most better than others. (laughs) But today, uh, back again for this episode is my good friend, Mr. Chris McMitchin. Uh, who was on our war games episode a couple couple of weeks ago? And so let's see we've gone from uh, thrillers to comedies, so we have we have a range here. so uh, but say hello, Chris.
1: Hello, everybody. Glad to be back.
0: All right, so vacation. So I know we talked about a little bit about this before, but um, it's pretty well beloved uh, comedy, I guess over the years. Uh, when was your first time seeing vacation for the first time?
1: Well, this is a little bit of a departure for me because I didn't see this one in the theaters. This was not a theater movie for me like War Games was right, before. Right, right. Uh, and, and a lot of movies I saw first run were theater movies back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, the ability to just call them up on streaming services didn't exist. No. So you couldn't, <laughs> you know, if I went to, uh, in fact, this was probably, uh, believe it or not, a blockbuster, you know, rental yeah, type yeah. show for me. Um uh, Blockbuster was a very, very popular big thing in my family. And uh, we would visit there, you know, maybe twice a week mm-hmm. and grab a couple of films and see them, you know, over the weekend or whatnot. And uh, I'm I'm almost positive that's how I first saw Vacation.
0: Yeah, I don't remember seeing... I'm pretty sure I saw a TV version at some point. Because I remember when I actually did see it like regular, like the on VHS or whatever, I was like, oh, there's a lot of this that... I don't remember seeing, you know, but I probably shouldn't have saw as a kid anyway. So, um, but I, but at the same time, maybe I only saw bits and pieces. I don't think I ever saw it all the way through until much later. I was probably well into my teens before I saw it. But of course, um, I, I remember seeing European vacation, which was not very good. Um, of course, Christmas vacation is like a, a standard. But so I I probably saw vacation like all the way through after i'd seen those two movies I was, I was probably like early 90s when i actually saw it mm. uh but i haven't seen it. this is one that i've it's so iconic but i've never watched it beginning to end many many times it's just such iconic scenes that you've seen over and over again so
1: yeah
0: uh, how long had it been since you saw it last
1: well, I think you're on the right track there. That I I don't think I've seen it like start to finish, maybe since the, the original. You know? <laughs> right. it, even when it's popped up on TV mm-hmm. and various, you know, on TNT or whatever network, you know, when I'm passing by, I might watch a scene or two. Mm-hmm. But it's not the kind of thing that glues me into seeing the entire movie. You know, it doesn't pull you in. It's oh, very, yeah, yeah. very scene focused, mm-hmm. like you said. Yeah. And and uh, so it's 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 easy to kind of pull away at a. Um, or join in mm-hmm. at a commercial break yeah, <laughs> or switch to something else Oh yeah, so yeah. I think it was kind of that for me before this latest uh, scene yesterday yeah well
0: interesting you brought that up because that, that actually kind of plays into how it got how it developed but um, so during the Chicago blizzard of 1979 writer John Hughes who went on to become a huge director uh, writer in the 80s as well mm-hmm. Home Alone uh, he uh, wrote that one but he also directed Ferris Bueller's Day Off and The Breakfast Club and many other great teen movies we'll get to eventually on the podcast, Uh, but he began developing a short story entitled Vacation 58 for an issue of the National Lampoon magazine. While the story ended up being bumped from the initial vacation-themed issue, it was eventually published in September of 1979 and subsequently optioned by Warner Brothers. When I brought it to Hollywood, the first guy I brought it to was Jeff Katzenberg, who was at Paramount, recalled producer Maddie Simmons, who worked as a publisher at the National Lampoon Magazine. He said it would never make a movie. It was too episodic, too consequential. I said, yeah, it's a road trip. It's supposed to be episodic. You go from town to town, place to place, but he still didn't like it. So then my agent brought it to Warner Brothers and I met with them. Most of them said the same thing, but there was one executive over there, a guy named Mark Canton, who really pulled for it and got it made. Upon Simmons' agreement with Warner Brothers, Hughes was assigned the task of adapting his original story into a screenplay. So there we see, because it's episodic, like I said, I mean, it's not one that you necessarily have to see from beginning to end. I mean, if you if you catch it in the middle, you kind of know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, you know, it's it's very much like little, uh, what do you call it? Vign- vin- vignettes. Not, vignettes. Yep. That's the word mm-hmm. I'm looking for. So, uh, Maddie Simmons and Warner Brothers executive Mark Canton wanted John Landis to direct the movie, who we talked about, who directed uh, Coming to America. Simmons talked to him about it, but Landis turned it down because he was already working on American Werewolf in London uh, that came out in 1981 at the same time. Harold Ramis ended up taking the job of director. And I want to say, and I didn't you know, get this in writing to remember... But I want to say he just got finished doing like Caddyshack. Like he'd done some of those other kind of oh. big comedies. I think I'm pretty sure Harold Ramis. I think he did Stripes and he did Caddyshack. So it's kind of and those are the kind of National Lampoon kind of kind of got their got their feet wet in the in the theaters. So, um, but Harold Ramis, of course, he was in Ghostbusters. We know him as an actor too. So um, any other movies of his that you remember that you liked?
1: Um. Not really. I, some of those. <laughs> some of those you mentioned. You know. Obviously, I've I've probably seen Stripe several times. Mm-hmm. I, that Bill Murray character, you know, is pretty etched in my mind. Oh, as yeah, well, yeah. And and that troop and, and how that movie kind of goes from the uh, zero to hero, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So many movie arcs follow that. You know, from the beginning to the end. And um. But but that's probably the main one. Okay.
0: Yeah. I, I. I'm not sure if I've ever seen Stripes all the way through. Another one I've probably seen mm-hmm. bits and pieces of. I've seen Caddyshack a couple of times. Uh, I think I saw Animal House once in college, and I didn't. It wouldn't didn't appeal to me. Right. <laughs> wasn't my wasn't quite my same college experience. But anyway, so uh, so yeah. So it was based on the short story, like I said by John Hughes, and from what I saw, it was actually based on a vacation he took with his family when he was like age five, going to Disney World. So uh, with that being said. You have any funny vacation stories, like any family vacations that were as crazy and zany as this one was?
1: Well, I I don't remember, like... You know, unfortunately with the Griswolds, just everything always seems to go wrong, you know. <laughs> right. And so we were never that unlucky. <laughs> right, right. In our vacations, always had a pretty good time. I was a kid, you know, in most of our family vacations, of course. So mm-hmm. I, I was having a good time regardless. I right. just make mom fun. But one thing I do remember that's hilarious it sticks out in my mind um, I, I love my mom really a whole bunch, but we were in Orlando on a trip one year and we were all asleep. I guess we, I say we, my sister and I were still asleep. Mm-hmm. And I, um, my mom and dad were, you know, up and getting ready for the day. We were going to go to theme park or something, you know, down in Orlando. And that's kind of vacation that was. And um, at, it was early in the morning, you know, maybe 730 in the morning. And we heard her, you know, just scream like, ah, like someone was attacking her. <laughs> right. And um, come to find out that it, in the darkness of the morning that she and dad were moving around in, um, she had gone to brush her teeth, and instead of using a tube of toothpaste, she'd use a tube of desitin ointment that we'd brought along. <laughs> so she was washing, uh, brushing her teeth with oh, gosh. butt paste. Oh, God! And uh, that was a, a, a very funny thing looking <laughs> back on it. Uh, it. You know, it doesn't nearly compare to the oh, no. shenanigans of the Griswolds. Right, but, right. Uh, but that's one of the things for me that stands out as humorous.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> we didn't have. We didn't take a whole lot of, like, big, like, I've never done, like, a cross-country family vacation like that that I can remember. I've driven – we've gone – like, when my dad being in the military, we moved a lot. and We made a drive from Atlanta, Georgia, to El Paso, Texas. That took a couple of days. Uh, but that was just me, my, my mom, my dad, and my – it was just me, my mom, my dad, and my sister did not drive with us. She stayed with my grandparents and then flew out later. Um, but, you know, maybe that's because it wasn't the full family, just a little different. But – uh, I don't remember anything that was like really too crazy on that, but I have stories I don't remember. I was too little, but I guess we did a family vacation with like my grandparents to go to San Antonio, Texas. I think, uh, but that's where the Alamo is, right? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> you're a school teacher, you know these things. Uh, <laughs> and somehow, like the story is that um, everybody was asleep and somebody was driving, and they they claim that he probably fell asleep or he dozed for a minute and missed an exit. And on the way back, ended up almost in Florida. We were supposed to be going back to North Carolina. So oh, no. at some point, he got on a different, the wrong interstate. And it, like, set us all back by, like, six or seven hours or something like that. But I, like I said, I don't remember. I was too little. But I remember hearing stories about it as a kid. And that was back in the day that they would, they told us that me and my sister were actually asleep in the floorboard of the back seat. Like, mm-hmm. cars were much bigger. And we were obviously much smaller than we could fit in that. And that was before car seats were, were you
1: know. I will say we did share one characteristic with the Griswolds, and that is that we had a station wagon. Yeah. And so I actually was in the station wagon. I remember pretty distinctly that the very back seat of the station wagon. Mm What face the opposite direction? Yes. So you could actually face out, and it yes. was always so awkward on the highway <laughs> when people would drive up. You know, and you're looking at them face to face. Yep, yep. It was just, so, it was yep. uncomfortable and weird. It wasn't a big, you know, huge one like the truckster they had, right, 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 Roadster, whatever they had. But, yeah. But uh we do share that with the Griswold Yeah, we had,
0: <laughs> we had a station wagon like that as well. And I remember riding in the very back. And same thing, it had a little seat, and you faced out the back. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. I think we used to make make faces of the people driving behind us just being silly kids. <laughs> that was, was kind of fun. Yeah. All right, so the filming began in 1982, July of 1982, and lasted 55 days. Parts of the film were shot in Monument Valley, Utah, Flagstaff, Sedona, and the Grand Canyon in Arizona, Santa Anita Racetrack in Arcadia and Magic Mountain in California, Southern Colorado, and St. Louis, Missouri. So it really was almost a road trip with the crew. So, according to the the DVD commentary, the heat was unbearable traveling through several states. Huge huge trucks carrying cast, crew, food, equipment, and supplies were used. Anthony Michael Hall, who played Rusty, remembers it being well over 120 degrees Fahrenheit in the shade. Cast and crew passed out from the heat. Emma Jean Coco, who played uh, Aunt Edna, suffered a mild stroke and amnesia during filming. She couldn't remember her lines or the scenes they had previously shot. She came back after recovery and amazingly remembered her lines as if nothing had ever happened. Tempers also once flared between Harold Ramos and Chevy Chase, and uh, Chevy Chase threw a suitcase at him. So, don't know the specifics of it, but I'm sure that probably happens. Uh, the theme park that served as Wally World was actually Six Flags Magic Mountain in Valencia, California, which I, I haven't been there, but I've seen it. Uh, the roller coaster, referred by Clark as the Whippersnapper, is actually called the Revolution and was the first coaster ever to have a 360 degree vertical loop oh cool so yeah which they of course they showed that on the thing Mm -hmm. and uh i will get to that later so uh we'll talk about the casting so it's of course chevy chase i can't imagine anybody else being in the role of clark w griswold than chevy chase uh but richard beltzer uh robert klein and bill murray were all considered for the role of clark early in development
1: any thoughts on that one? I'm trying to picture Richard are doing that. Yeah, I'm like, man, that's a far reach. Right. I don't remember him doing very much comedic anything. You yeah, know, Bill Murray would have been funny at it, but uh, it I would don't have been know. a
0: different kind of yeah, funny, would,
1: though. More of a more of a lower. Uh, I don't know how to say it, but a. a it he been probably would have played it more low IQ, I yeah, guess. Yeah. That was typical. You know, in Caddyshack, in oh, yeah, yeah. Stripes, like I said, that's this kind of role he played in those films. So.
0: And Robert Klein always plays like the high anxiety, like mm. really anxious kind of character. So, uh, yeah, it would have been totally different. So, uh, Beverly D'Angelo played Ellen Griswold, and Kim Cattrall, who was later known for Sex and the City, uh, was the original choice for that. So, I'm glad... didn't go in that direction so Mm -hmm. um but also said that beverly d'angelo was actually um even though she played the mom she was only like eight or nine years older than anthony michael hall and dana gould who played who played the the, really yeah wow so uh uh, so anthony michael hall we said who played rusty um he was actually going through puberty during the shooting and he grew three inches throughout the production as a result (laughs) you see him at different heights of the film. And one, I noticed they said that at the end it showed when they see, when you see him with the family, he's taller than the mom. And in all the other scenes before that, he was actually shorter. Mm-hmm. And they said, because of that in the original script, Rusty was actually younger than Audrey. Audrey was the older sibling, but because uh, of the height, because he kept getting taller, they had to change it during production to make him seem like he was older brother, which I really didn't catch that one or the other. I just thought they were yeah. around the same age. I couldn't really tell. Who yeah. was older? Um, but I thought that was interesting.
1: They um, fought like my sister and I. A little, <laughs> so I can that, I can relate yeah, to that. No matter that what true. age they were, I'm like I can relate. That is true. They did. I think that's part of you know the, the appeal of this movie overall. It's oh funny. yeah,
0: it definitely does give you a good sense of a family unit. I mm-hmm. mean the the arguments and the uh, you know especially on a road trip those kind of things. Right. Uh, oh man, so funny. It makes me think <laughs> about. I'm, I'm thinking about something. My, my sister was known for thinking about road trips. My sister is notorious for going to sleep on a road trip. She will, like my mom would say, she would, she'd close her eyes and be asleep before we got out of the driveway and she wouldn't wake up till we got there. Mm-hmm. And that was literally, so I don't have many memories of my sister on road trips because most of the time she was asleep, but there was one time, I have one memory of going somewhere and we used to travel, you know, cause we didn't live, live near my grandparents. We'd always travel a couple of times a month to go see them it was usually like a five or six hour ride. And, uh, this was back when you had the Walkman and the headphones and, right. you know, before it was all, uh, you know, noise canceling and <laughs> the little fuzz outside. And if you turn it past seven, mm-hmm. everybody in the car could hear what you were listening to. Mm-hmm. And so me and my sister always battling over who could hear. I can hear your music over my music and all that kind of stuff. And so those were the fights that I remember us getting into. Of, and my mom and dad said, it's just too loud. But we could never agree with what to listen to on the radio. Most of right. my dad wanted to ride without the radio on anyway. So I don't. I still don't understand how he likes to ride in silence. I just that's still I'm a music guy, so right. I, a radio's got to be on at some yeah, point. some kind
1: of music. But uh,
0: but we did do sing alongs. That, that, that scene when they're doing the sing along at the beginning, the Mockingbird song, which I sang almost word for word with them. <laughs> yeah, right. Watched it, but um, we did some of that when I was younger too, which I remember I had good fond memories of that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so like I said Imogene Coca played Aunt Edna. Um, she's the wife of Sid Caesar. They were like a comedy duo back in the uh, '50s and '60s says she was hesitant about taking the role because she was worried she couldn't be mean enough. Uh, Chevy Chase said she was one of the sweetest ladies in the world. However, producer Matt, Maddie Simmons talked Coca into taking the part, assuring that she was a fantastic actress who could play any role. And I think she did really well. I mean, I thought yeah, she was she did. hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't say I have any aunts or any relatives that were like that on a road trip, but um, she definitely played that really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Randy Quaid, of course, is Cousin Eddie. Uh, did you know Robin Williams was considered to play Cousin Eddie at one point? No. <laughs> that
1: would have been very different, too. That
0: would have been a very different take. And then, uh, of course, it says this was introducing Christy Brinkley. She was just becoming a superstar in the modeling industry when production began, and the studio wanted to feature her in the movie. While she only appeared in a handful of scenes, she actually traveled with the cast and crew for much of the shoot. On the day she wasn't needed on set, she went horseback riding and whitewater rafting. How's that for a good vacation? Sure. Uh, this was her first movie credit, and she would reprise her role for the 1997 sequel Vegas Vacation. And then, uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but uh, the campground clerk was played by Brian Doyle Murray, who is actually Bill Murray's brother. And, I recognized um, him, but yeah. I wasn't sure
1: who he was. Yeah. I've yeah. seen him in some other things.
0: Well, actually, he plays Clark's cheapskate boss, Mr. Shirley, in Christmas Vacation. Oh, okay. Same guy. There
1: you go. So, yeah. But, uh,
0: you know, as soon as he came up on the scene, I was like, that's Bill Murray's brother. and <laughs> he's, he's only there for, for a small role. But there was actually a deleted scene that I was reading about um, that he that he was in that they ended up cutting uh, when they're on the campsite. I guess he makes a line. He uh, he makes a comment there's a line in that scene. Uh, when they're checking in where it's like why is it $39 which, which today like 39 bucks man that's a yeah. deal <laughs> <you money>.
1: <laughs> right
0: one um, yeah, right 39 bucks was it for three nights or whatever it was yes and so uh, and like why is it so much like we have a pool and wildlife fun quote unquote wildlife fun so I guess in the deleted scene I guess he would go into all the different tents dressed in a bear costume or a moose costume and so there was a scene where he came into Clark and uh, Ellen's uh, tent and like scared them but they said it didn't work very well um for the scene so they're changing to having the dog come in and attack them so the same kind of idea but mm-hmm. uh so that was interesting so
1: this episode is brought to you by reese's peanut butter cups in breaking news leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you.
0: Any uh, favorite scenes of the movie?
1: Any standout? I, I don't know. I... Believe it or not, one of the one of the scenes I liked a lot, it had nothing to do with any of the humor of it. <laughs> right. But I think the the scene that where Clark and um, Rusty are there in the desert, mm-hmm. and he's talking to him about his history, and said, "You know, for 18 years we went on vacations, mm-hmm. and I never had fun on any of them." Yeah, he said. So I'm determined now. Here I am, the dad. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're and that's just it sets up his character so well yeah. for all these movies. And, oh yeah, yeah, You know, I have no idea if they had planned to have another. Vacation movie after this first one, or that would be it. Yeah. You know, it, but it, it had some popularity to it. You know, in public appeal, and mm-hmm. and I think everybody, like I said, could relate to that family unit pretty well. At least parts of it, pretty much. Everybody oh, yeah, can yeah, relate yeah. to, and I think it set up his character really well. So the the emotional connection of those two, and him just a little bit of backstory about why he was so gung ho mm-hmm. to try to make things work. You know, and uh, you know there there are obviously a lot of funny scenes in there the scene where the, he's um dancing around with with christy brinkley oh yeah yeah and, yeah, and, and they said that hey the dog peed on this picnic basket <laughs> and he's already got a big bite in his mouth he spits it out yeah yeah it, that's pretty funny you know yeah. i mean that slapsticky kind of stuff i always you know think is really pretty hilarious
0: that's so. definitely one that's definitely been one of my favorite scenes like when i think of that movie that's like the scene that i remember is him doing that old dance with his members only jacket on and uh it's so funny mm. um yeah, there's several scenes that I remember. Like I said, they're more iconic. I can't really say they're favorite. I do like the scene with, with uh, Clark and Rusty um, and a little behind-the-scenes fact. On that scene, there was no beer in the can. Like, they both had to pretend oh, they were sure. drinking. It was, an, it was an empty can that they had to drink out of. I'm sure, um, yeah. But even that scene made me laugh when he just he takes the one sip and hands it to Rusty, and Rusty just chugs the whole thing. And <laughs> he gets it back and just take, takes a sip, and it's like, there's nothing in there. Um, uh one of the scenes that made me laugh I, there, are, there are scenes that I remember laughing at as a kid and one of the scenes that made me laugh the hardest was the scene where he goes to the gas station after getting in the car and he can't find the gas tank
1: mm. and
0: then uh, he sees the lady next to him and the little kid comes out and he you know shows us behind the uh, the license plate and I remember as a kid like those were the coolest cars like a car had a gas tank behind <laughs> the license plate that was like you know next level coolness and so when he goes to grab the license plate and just rips it off the car I mean we would just laugh And then when they found it, it's at the front. Um, And then there are scenes of this that I remember my dad laughing at. And my dad laughing just gives me good nostalgia anyway. And uh, I think because my dad saw some of it himself in Clark, my dad's not that dim-witted, but he does Mm -hmm. do some goofy things. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like I said, the scene of them singing in the car, uh, I like a lot. And... uh,
1: uh, you know they bring the singing back in the Christmas vacation. Oh yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They do a lot of singing, singing family.
0: Yeah, and that's one thing I know. Like I've seen Christmas vacation so many times mm-hmm. that I really know that one really well. Yeah. And then really going back and watching this one, I re- I realized they kind of followed that pattern almost to a T. I mean, there's yep. there's very there's a lot of similarities between the two. Even though Christmas vacation they don't go anywhere, they they stay in one place. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the same bits and humor and kind of this not recycled jokes, but some of the same bits are in there, but one scene that I did not know, I didn't, this is the first time I remember noticing it. And I don't know if you saw it or not, but it's t- towards the beginning. Um, and they're doing the dishes in the kitchen. Did you notice anything interesting under that scene? Uh, no, no. And I started laughing while we were watching. My wife was like, what are you laughing at? I was like, yeah. I said, you gotta watch this. So she's taking the dishes and she's dumping the, the food of the dishes into the sink she hands the dish to Clark mm-hmm. Clark's supposed to wipe it off and put it in the dishwasher. He's not, he's wiping it off and putting it in the cabinet. So like he does like four or five, they're uh. having the conversation. And it's totally like, it's not like, you know, it's just kind of those background things. And so I was just laughing so hard. Sounds like that is so funny, but I mean, that's totally a thing that Clark would do He's like so much talking, thinking about, you know, he's in the conversation, just wiping off the thing and he just puts it in the cabinet. And I'm like, how many times have you eaten, have y'all eaten food <laughs> off of a not washed plate? because he didn't put in the dishwasher. And, like, you know, it doesn't resolve. Like, Clark, this was, you know, they're supposed to go in the dishwasher. And, and uh, I was reading that that's one of Chevy Chase's favorite scenes in the movie mm-hmm. that nobody ever really notices. Like, it's one of his right. favorite bits. But he said most audiences never even saw that. And so I was like, man, I, I actually noticed that one yesterday when I was watching it. So I thought that was great. So next time you watch it, I watch decided. for that scene. It's like watch when she hands him. And it took, like, two or three before I noticed. Like, wait a minute. He's not... She's dumping stuff off and he's wiping it off. It's not even clean, but anyway, that was funny to me. The
1: other thing that I think, you know, it kind of lends to that same idea that he... Does some things as Clark Griswold, and he's oblivious to what's going on. Yeah, he's got you know such a such a focused mindset on this family vacation. Yeah, is at the very beginning, the first scene where they go to try to trade their car in for another car. <laughs> yeah, he, he wants he decides it's not the car you know that he's decided on. Right. So he's like, well, bring my car back. I'll just take and take my business somewhere else. <laughs> and the, the car is literally been flattened, right. it's Like, right. You know, two feet off the ground. Yeah. And he just goes over, it and he doesn't he doesn't <laughs> react when he turns around and sees it flat. In fact, he tries. That's to Open the, the door, door. <laughs> and you don't ever hear the resolution of that either because they cut to oh, yeah, his yeah. house and he's yeah. driving the you know the the car that's that station wagon he didn't really want. He's driving it on his property,
0: and then it clunking when he turns the car off, <laughs> the gas clunking. It's like so. I mean, once again, things bring back memories because I remember we had a car that did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would clunked when we drove it, and I remember my grandfather was like, "What's wrong with your car?" If we don't know. We're just going to keep driving it. Right. So, but uh yeah, there was some. There's some great moments like that. Yeah. All that stuff was good. It's funny. All right. So we'll talk about some of the, um, some of the trivia about some of those scenes that we talked about. So uh, I just talked about that one. So we'll skip that one. Uh, During the gas station scene, I talked about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, When Clark was trying to find the gas cap for the family truckster, Chase didn't, he did not intend to throw the license plate when he removed it. The plate flew behind him and nearly hit the actress parked at the adjacent pump, the look of concern on Chase's face afterward is actually genuine, which uh, I thought I was interesting. And once again, it's pretty, pretty quick, pretty quick. But I was, uh, this was I, the website I pulled this from. They actually, had screenshots from the from the movie, and you can see him looking like, "Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, what did I just do?" So it was kind of funny. According to the 2007 biography, "I'm Chevy Chase and You're Not," Harold Ramis and Chevy Chase did uncredited rewrites of the screenplay, shifting the focus from the teenagers to the parents. For instance, the Ferrari girl, played by Christy Brinkley, was originally to be a 13-year-old love interest for Rusty instead of Clark. Oh. So, which I guess, you know, John Hughes, because he's known for for the the teen movies or child, you know, child perspective, I could see that being, that was probably his main story in his version. Mm -hmm. So, I'd love to go back and find the original screenplay and read it, but... Uh, Harold Ramis said in the DVD commentary that the scene where the Griswolds get off the wrong exit in St. Louis—we talked about this earlier today—about this, yeah. a lot of stuff in this movie you could not get away with today. And this talks about this. <laughs> so he gets off on the wrong exit in St. Louis, and he gets lost in the hood. It was one of the most politically incorrect sequences he ever shot, and that it practically demonized everyone involved. Mm-hmm. He also admitted that he wasn't proud of shooting it the way it appears in the film, and that if, and he was not even sure if he could shoot that particular scene again today. But if he did. He would not shoot it. He would write it a different way, a more politically correct way. So, yeah. but yeah, that was one of the scenes where I was like, wow, that, you know, this is not 2020. <laughs> you know, this this would not fly today. And there's another scene towards the end when he, uh, when they're at the Wally World and, you know, they got John Candy. They've got him already mm-hmm. uh, kind of uh, kidnapped. And then the other officer comes out and tells them to get down <laughs> and act like a dog. I was like, oh, my gosh, uh. this was not this would not go well today. So no. uh, I was surprised that one. Uh, wasn't He didn't mention that scene either. So, um, For the scene where Clark ties Dinky's leash, leash to the rear bumper, another scene that my dad laughed a lot when he saw it, uh, and forgets all about it before driving off, producer Matty Simmons said that after the movie's release, he received numerous letters from people who had seen the movie and admitted they had made the same grievous error with their pits as Clark did in the movie. Really? Uh, Ch- uh, Chevy Chase and James Keach, who plays the highway patrol officer, improvised much of the scene the two are noticeably trying to stifle laughter during the scene and you could see like you can't tell if they're crying or laughing and you can see uh chevy chase biting his lip a few times especially
1: chase i would think Yeah. yeah
0: he's trying to keep it together so all right so did you know there was a different ending for the movie that they actually changed the ending
1: no i did not know that
0: okay so the original ending of the film consisted of the griswold family after seeing that wally world was closed goes to the hollywood house of roy wally Clark points the BB gun at Wally, then forces him, a security guard and Wally's business associates, to sing and dance Wally World theme songs before the police arrive to arrest Clark. The girl in the red Ferrari then arrives and turns out to be Wally's daughter, and she convinces him not to press charges against Clark. On the plane ride home, the Griswolds realize they are on the wrong flight. Clark snaps and hijacks the plane. As you can tell, this did not go over well with test audiences, and the scenes in the park with John Candy were a last-minute alternate ending filmed over two weeks. Uh, It took two weeks to film, but was four months after production ended, which is also why Rusty looks so much taller in those scenes. Hmm. The original ending was deleted and is believed to be lost. However, Chevy Chase has said that he has a videotape of the movie with the original ending. Hmm. A photo of the Griswolds on the plane is shown during the end credits. So, Interesting. Yeah, I could see how that would not be as good of an ending, yeah. and uh, I think uh, another version of the story. Harold Ramos said that um, the test audiences really did not like the, the that version, and he said he understood why because he said the whole point was getting to Wally World. So to not have any kind of resolution really kind of left it on a on a on a bad end. So when they reshot it and showed the all of them riding the rides, he said the the test audience went through the roof. Like that was so much better of an ending and I agree I
1: thought those, those were yes. really fun So well you know he had so many they have, they're have they the Griswolds they have so oh, many yeah, yeah. hurdles along the way <laughs> to get the final resolution of making it there even though they had to hijack a security guard to do it yeah. the only thing I didn't like about the ending was that I mean the only thing that didn't work with I think yeah. was the idea that they were getting on all these rides and there were nobody else there to, yeah, run the ride. to run the rides so, yeah, so I, like how can you do that because yeah. you're sitting on the ride you can't hit the button and jump on you know yeah
0: once again this movie made a time where ridiculousness is kind of <laughs> yes. expected. Like, you don't – you didn't think too much about it. You sure. just got to kind of take it as it is. I mean, a lot of it didn't make sense. I mean, the, you know, how is she, the girl in the Ferrari, always in the same place that they are, always right, right. right beside him. There's nobody else on the, on the road. <laughs> um, uh, one of the things that we, me and my, life, my wife were laughing about was the scene where he robs the hotel where he's trying to cash a mm-hmm. check. Right. He's like, I'll give you a $1,000 check. You know, you keep 700 and then the the uh, cashier opens, and uh, he takes the cash out, throws throws the check in there, and I'm like, first of all, you gave him a check with your address on it, so right. you're gonna, you know, they're gonna find the you at some point. I yes, mean, sir. but I guess he's he's like, what I'm giving you is gonna be way more than whatever I just took out of the register. But mm-hmm. still, uh, those kind of scenes were just like really funny. And then uh, the other thing, the other scene that my wife uh, I thought was interesting was when uh, it's right after that because they go out. And she's like, honey, don't you see the Grand, Grand Canyon? And he's like, real quick, and then he runs off. <laughs> And Tara was like, "I wonder if that res- that hotel is still there." And so she went on Google and found the rest, not the restaurant, the hotel that they were at for that scene. That's right there on the Grand Canyon. She was like, eh, "That'd be a good place to go." I was like, "Yeah, it couldn't have been cheap. It wasn't cheap then. It probably yeah. isn't cheap now." So. Uh, there's probably more than a thousand dollars in that cash register, so
1: it does kind of play into the the humor that he was asking him earlier in the film. You know about hey, let's go. We're only about three hour drive from the second largest ball of twine, twine yeah. ever. <laughs> and then he didn't really because he was tra- in a hurry. Yeah. He didn't really care much about the Grand Canyon, which is one of the most <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> picturesque <laughs> places in all of you know the United States. Yeah. The, other, the one thing I did like about the resolution though of it all and how he you know he talks to Roy Wally and says mm-hmm. uh, this is how. Uh, have you ever, your family man Roy, and he tries to talk to him like a dad. Yeah. He says, "Have you ever taken your you know kids across country on a trip or whatever?" Mm-hmm. And of course, they went, went from Cal, um, Chicago to California. Right. But then Roy Wally's like, "Yeah, I took my kids to Florida right, one year, right. and I was thinking, man, that's really cross country." Yeah. <laughs> and he said, "And it was pure heck the whole time. Oh, oh, you yeah, know, yeah, I yeah. couldn't stand it. It was it was." two of the worst weeks of my life and I was, and I was like see that that really echoes yeah. with a lot of people I think the road trips are tough why do you think the airline business makes so much money oh yeah <laughs> because real road trips are hard yeah, which you is know? why they
0: flew back home yeah. of course I don't think their car would have made it back home if they oh took no the no carpet. no all right let's talk about how it's done with with the critics so uh Rotten Tomatoes which amazingly has it at 93 percent from critics mm-hmm. and 85 percent from audiences but Metacritic, which is usually pretty even keel with rotten tomatoes has it at a 55 out of hundred so it's not didn't not in the great range for the critics uh, and a seven point four out of ten from audiences which I think is more in the seven point four range for me um, I mean I like it it's not one of my favorites I once again I would if I had to choose between this one and Christmas Vacation I watch Christmas Vacation every time Me too. even if it's right. the middle of July Yeah, uh, but I think do in, in thinking about summer and kind of reason picking this movie for right now is like thinking about summer and going on vacation it's a fun movie to watch in mm-hmm. the summertime I mean it's one of those kind of summer movies and there's other sum- summer movies that I like a little bit better than this one but um, once again it, it's such iconic classic it's hard to not root for this one mm-hmm. uh, where would you put it on your I mean if you had to give it a grade
1: right Right our, our, there around a seven I think is, yeah. is good you know like I said it's not one when I'm passing it on the you know if I see it on a TV network or something that draws me in to yeah. watch but I may watch a couple of scenes oh of yeah it, you yeah. know and, and it brings me back to the memory of the movie and I, I think one of the things you know it does is it sets up that family unit very well And we all root for them because I think we can empathize with Mm -hmm. them, with the Griswolds some. And that's what makes some of their future movies, although some of them weren't as good. Right. But like Christmas Vacation, they learned so much by Mm -hmm. then, you know, how how the model worked for the Griswolds and what they were about. It made it super successful. Yeah.
0: I agree. I agree. All right. And so it opened theatrically in a hundred – I'm sorry – it opened theatrically in 1,175 venues on July 29, 1983, so right in the middle of summer, and earned $8,333,358 in its opening weekend, which is not too shabby, especially in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. It ranked number one at the domestic box office. It ended up grossing over $60 million during its run in the theaters. So, uh, we talked about sequels, uh, remakes and reboots. It had, it had three direct sequels, European Vacation in 1985, which I saw once and I've never seen again. Yeah. <laughs> the only funny scene in that is Big Ben Parliament. Look, kids. Big ben Parliament. <laughs> uh, Christmas Vacation 1989, which is iconic. And, you know, I watch it every Christmas, mm-hmm. if, or if not, at least every other Christmas. And then Vegas Vacation in 1997, which I, once again, I saw once and was not very good. Yeah. Uh it was kind of a definitely a cash grab kind of movie yeah and then they did a reboot in 2015 uh, called vacation with ed helms who was actually playing a grown-up rusty and so uh clark and ellen have a cameo at the beginning which i thought was probably the best part of the movie everything Mm -hmm. after that was not very not very good once again it's kind of taken you want to take that premise and make it modern but maybe why this one holds up the way it does is because it's different times. Like even like when they when they uh when the car crashed when they were on the when they got on the um the road construction or the wrong road and ended up in the middle of the desert in Arizona and my wife was like, Well no cell phones, what are you gonna do? And you gotta walk, you Mm -hmm. know, however far he walked to the gas station or whatever. And it's like those kind of things you can't do now because we're all so connected. So yeah. A lot of things they got into, like Aunt Edna dying and leaving her on the doorstep, can't do that (laughs) now because you would you'd call the the cousin or whoever uh it's all that kind of stuff doesn't work the same but uh, anyway but overall it was a good movie it's fun Mm -hmm. fun fun summertime comedy so definitely all right chris well it's been fun having you on this episode any final comments about it or anything else you want to add
1: well just uh i I enjoyed it it was it's been one of those uh kind of summer films like you said where uh, I think there's a lot of nostalgia because people oh, yeah. relate to it well, and, yeah. and I think that's continued to be its audience appeal. Obviously, there's some appeal out there because it'll be on every once in a while. Yeah. You know, I tracked down a version on AMC from this past week <laughs> right. to, to, to refresh my memory on some of it and see it. So right. uh, there's got to be some appeal. But it was it's a lot of fun uh, hanging out with you.
0: Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we have a few ways for you to do just that. First, you can send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. That's M-O-V-I-V-I-E-W-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message through the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our show notes. Hey, and if you leave us a message, we may just use it for an upcoming mini episode. Another way to reach us is the Movie Views Facebook group and Instagram. There you'll find news and reviews for current and upcoming movies, not just the 80s movies we talk about here. Also, be on the lookout for our next mini-episode. Each mini-episode offers some fun segments about the previous full episode, and will also introduce the next 80s flick we'll be watching and covering in the next episode. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a 5-star rating, leave us a stellar written review, and go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. No matter which podcast platform you're listening to us on, be sure to read the show notes to find more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia that we just weren't able to get a chance to talk about during this episode. Well, that's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s flick flashback.